He loves us, he loves us, he loves us. Our God is good. Let me add my happy new year to y'all. Trust that uh, you enjoyed Christmas and have recovered from all your celebrations or getting ready to start 2023. Uh, uh, Julie and I and, and our youngest daughter, Caden, went back to Wisconsin to see some folks, many of you know, David and Casey and the grandkids. We arrived on uh, Christmas afternoon. It was four degrees. <laughs> now, I grew up in this stuff, but I'm going to tell you, you leave the airport, and if I hadn't had two of my granddaughters right there with me, I might have turned back into the... <laughs> then we went to Minneapolis for a couple days to see my in-laws, and it snowed over a foot in two days. Now, it's beautiful to look at, but I grew up in this stuff. It's a mess to live in. It's a mess to drive around. Our flight was delayed six and a half hours. This is a long way of getting to this. We landed back here Wednesday evening. It was 60 degrees and raining, and we were thrilled. <laughs> all right, rain and 60 degrees. So happy new year to all you here, uh, those of you uh, joining us online, and some of you I know watching right now live in some of that frozen tundra. There are other places to reside where you don't have to live in, in that sun, in that kind of weather. So uh, next Sunday, we're going to kick off, and we, we've told you a little bit about it, uh, an initiative for our church family, Sharing the Joy. Now, this is a little guidebook. It was put together by Drew Soderstrom and his team at Vintage Grace. And, and they developed this. Remember, uh, Drew and Jen, we sent them up there. It's about 10 years ago to plant a church, and their church is doing very well. And they put a, a, a guide together to help us experience God's love in our own lives a little more fully and just practically think about how we might be even more effective at sharing that with others. Now, the staff and I uh, went through this last fall, and uh, we found it helpful for our lives. So we've done some tweaking. You will receive this booklet next week. And my strong request, oof, <laughs> I'm getting older. It's just a matter of time before I trip. But we have physicians almost here, and I have plenty of cushions, so we'll be good. My request is that everybody do this. I'd like everybody to participate in this. Our hope as elders and staff is that well, this will be something that unites us and encourages us and helps us to do what we do here even more effectively. Now, this morning and this week are really foundational to the 21-day initiative that starts next Sunday. Today is about thinking about this, getting a foundation for what this initiative is about. And my hope is our prayerfully considering through this week and asking God to move and work. We can do all the thinking and all the work, and if God doesn't move in and through it, it doesn't mean squat. So that's, what, uh, that's, that's where we're headed. Now, if I were just to summarize life, this would be one of the ways I'd summarize it. It's walking with Jesus while we walk with others. We may do it as a school teacher, a stay-at-home parent, a student. I don't know what it is. Uh, but when we boil down life, 
Here's what it is. Walking with Jesus while we walk with others. Now, our, our hope here is in, in the next few weeks here that God would move in our heads and our hearts to help us do this even better. To dream about what our church family might look like a year from now as we continue to even grow in our ability to share his love with other folks. So our hope is that we're going to more fully experience Jesus' love and from that foundation be empowered to more intentionally, more joyfully, and more naturally in this next year share Jesus. So today is foundational. And uh, I'm going to walk through a little bit of my journey of figuring this stuff out. And my hope is that it's helpful for you and, and it'll help you see, uh, again, where we're headed. So we're just going to start this morning with what's the purpose of the church. And, and I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to walk through it. That was actually fuzzy for me, though I grew up in it and was a pastor's kid. Jesus makes it pretty clear. Therefore, go and make disciples of him. Followers. That's why we exist. And although this verse is very familiar, for me it was fairly fuzzy for a good share of my life and my sense doing this pastoral gig for over three decades now, it's not that clear to everybody. Go therefore and make followers of Jesus, treasurers of Jesus, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and behold I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus, you have promised uh, us that you're going to be with us no matter where we are or what's happening. That's our confidence. But you've also given us a clear action plan to live so that others might see your grace, might see your forgiveness, might see your love, might experience the joy, the happiness, the delight that comes from being your child. Father, you have entrusted us with this message. This is a privilege and a joy. My prayer for me and for everyone here is as we go forward in these next few weeks using this tool, my prayer is that your spirit would work in each of us individually, that you would work in us corporately, that a year from now, there'd be more people that loved you more and there'd be people who right now who don't treasure you, who don't believe in you, who don't trust you, that through us, through your working in us, would come to see the one and only Savior, Jesus. That's our prayer, Father. I ask it in the name of our Savior. Amen. So, What's the purpose of the church? So I'm going to talk a little bit today about my journey in this. And uh, 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 it's to make disciples, but, but how I got there. Here's how I started. I grew up in the church. So I'm very familiar with church. There's no, I'm 64 years old. There's never been a time in my life when I didn't go to church. My dad was the pastor. Just let me tell you, as a pastor's kid, you get a little clearer window. I've been a part of this thing forever, forever. 
So I started with the Bible, which I really wasn't interested in reading the first 20 years. I knew it was about prayer, which I wasn't interested in doing in the first 20 years. Worship services, oh, that was a part of it. And when I was growing up, morning and evening. In the church I went to, evening was the same thing on Monday as Sunday morning, except with the B team. But we had these worship services, we did the exact same thing. Sunday school, oh man, I've been going to Sunday school from the time I was born. Boys Brigade, this is like a Christian Boy Scouts. Now, other than the lessons where they made us sit and listen to them talk, it was fun because we got to play games and make stuff. I wasn't too good at the make stuff. Here's my favorite part of growing up. We had a junior high basketball team. Oh, man, I love being a part of that basketball team. And then as I got older, we had youth groups. So I had Bible studies in junior high and high school and you had all this stuff. But then when you got to junior high and high school, you got to go bowling. And we played, uh, 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 we played broom ball back in Minnesota. You got to do all this kind of stuff. And there were girls there. So basketball team and youth group activities, that was my favorite part by far of growing up in church. The other things, everything else on that list... Didn't really interest me. But I knew that's what churches did. What's the purpose of the church? To have all this stuff. That's what churches do. And then there was a youth choir. Oh, my dad was the pastor, so for about three years I was in the church youth choir. Oh, it was just painful until finally they disbanded it and I didn't have to go anymore. So if you asked me, Going into my early 20s, what the purpose of the church was, I would have told you it's doing this stuff. That's what it was. That was my picture of why the church existed, to promote and to have all these structures. Then I met and treasured Jesus. I'm not going to belabor that. You guys have heard me the story. I'm in seminary, one of these structures. Dr. John Salhammer teaches me how to read the Bible. And for the first time in my life, I'm reading the Bible for myself. I'm not having to tell. I don't have to have anybody else tell me what it says. Nobody else is going to give me the picture of who God is and what this gospel is. I'm hearing from God directly through those folks he inspired. And I see this message of joy. You understand, I have this daily reading in my Bible. Every time joy is listed and it's all over the Bible, I circle it. Because I didn't grow up with that picture. Came to see that God really should damn me. Not just intellectually, but emotionally. And my life has never been the same. Now, I thought I was a Christian before that because I had asked Jesus into my heart. But once you fall in love with Jesus, you can look back and realize that you maybe didn't love him. It became crystal clear to me. So I came to face somewhere. I know I'm convinced from God's perspective there's an instant when I crossed from unbelief into belief. I can't tell you when it is. Sometime in those two years is my best guess. But I can't tell you exactly where it is. Then I did an internship in Richville, California. Two quarters left at seminary, and I determined I was going to go be a pastoral intern for a year. So packed up our 77 Toyota Celica. It was Julie and I and Kirsten, our daughter, oldest daughter, was a year old at the time. 
I got one of those hitches that you attach to your bumper so you can pull a little trailer. We packed up a small little U-Haul with the stuff we needed to live for here. We drove all the way across country to Richvale, California, community up north here, about 200 people. A church my dad had pastored from 1961 to 66, so it's still a nostalgic place for me. I get back there every once in a while. I knew people that lived there. They had built about four houses in, in all the years that, uh, since I had left, right? It looked just exactly like it was. Anyway, I get there, and I meet with the pastor, and we're talking and talking and talking, and I keep waiting for him to tell me what he wants me to do. I'm in graduate school. I've been to school all my life. I'd grown up with parents. And here's what I can tell you about life. People tell you what to do. So we're in this meeting and he keeps dragging on and he doesn't tell me, he doesn't tell me. After three hours, I finally look at him, Dave McMartin, a wonderful guy. And I say, Dave, what do you want me to do? And he pauses for a second. He says, why don't you go figure it out? I just drove my wife and daughter across the country to come do an internship and you're not even going to tell me what to do? So I pretty immediately just started dealing with the junior high and senior high kids, and that was one of the things, did lots of things, but started there. But here's the big thing for me. I sit in the office with Eleanor. Now, Eleanor was about 77, and she was sarcastic and funny, and she essentially ran the church. If you want to know who runs the church, it's usually that person sitting at the desk downstairs. And I love sitting in the office because it was just the pastor's office and that office, so I shared it with her. And I started thinking about this. You guys heard I was raised in the church. My dad was a pastor. I got two quarters until I'm done with seminary. And I sit there after he says that, and I go out in the office, and I go, well, I guess if I'm going to be leading this organization, I should understand what it does. Because I really didn't have a clear idea. All this stuff, I knew all that stuff, but why did it exist? What was its purpose? What, what, what specifically is its function? All my seminary experience, yeah, John, teach me how to read and use the Bible was key. But in terms of preparing for this, David Martin looking at me and telling me, you go figure it out, was one of the best things. It set the course for my life. Purpose of the church? To make disciples. Dallas Willard in his book, Renovation of the Heart, talks about the evangelical church and maybe the greatest problem is that we confuse the vessel with the treasure. The vessel's Boys Brigade, Sunday morning services, Bible studies. Basketball teams are at the top of the list. But we get excited about all the vessels and we don't actually see the treasure all that clearly. Now, I'd already come to that conclusion when I read Renovation of the Heart several years after that. Wasn't using that language before that. But I went, ha, that's me. That was my experience. I saw the churches just running all this stuff. And yet it's about treasuring Jesus. And my conclusion was back then, because of my own experience, and as best I could assess what was going on in a lot of places, 
we haven't necessarily been all that effective. Well intended, investing a lot of time, energy, and money. But man, it hadn't actually worked in my life. The misconceptions of discipleship. Because that's why we exist, is to make disciples. That's why we live, followers of Jesus. And I, let me speak for the elders, the staff, we're grateful for the investment you make around here. The time, using your gifts, the money you give here, thank you so much. We're going forward. We're hoping it continues your time, your money, and, and your talents. We're hoping it just increases as we go into 2023. But misconceptions of discipleship, it's about just getting somebody their get out of hell free card and that's all that they need. We can just do that. They're good. Eh, let's go on with life and try to get somebody else their get out of hell free card. It's what really serious Christians do. It's not for all Christians. I can't tell you how many times in my life I've heard somebody use language like this. I came to believe in Christ at this point in my life and then later I became a disciple. As though there are two categories. Let me assure you from my study of scripture, there is one. Followers of Christ. And then there are not followers of Christ. But either we follow Christ, we're a disciple, or we're not. It's done exclusively in sanctuary and classrooms. One of our passions around here is trying to help one another decompartmentalize our life. You know, when do we get discipled? When we sit here, then when we leave here, here's the cool thing, we don't have to think about it. Then we think about work or the Minnesota Vikings who, if they win today, have a chance to lock off play. I mean, there's all these other things in life. Now, we're hoping and praying that discipleship is occurring in our life groups whenever we get together and interact in this room. We are praying and hoping, but the discipleship is not limited. It's how we live. I've had brothers at this church see me get impatient on the basketball floor. They've seen me apologize. It's not my ideal design for discipling, but we're just disciples. It's predominantly an intellectual exercise. Yeah, when I was growing up, we had things I went to that were discipleship. Here's what I knew as soon as they used that word. I was going to be bored. That's what I knew. Somebody's going to be lecturing to me. Somebody's going to be asking me to read something and think about it. Whew. Enjoy? That's not an essential part. And for me, I didn't expect it. Wasn't even anticipated. Only real strong disciples make disciples. That's what we pay pastors to do, isn't it? So we can relax and sit out there and have them disciple us. That's how this works. Go and make disciples. Everybody just understands you need a Master of Divinity degree and have been to seminary to do this. 
even though Jesus chose these knuckleheads that would have none of them made a list of potential leaders by our criteria. The primary occupation they had was fishermen, and I mean no disrespect to fishermen or women, but he chose knuckleheads. And we're here today because those 11 had one eventually again after Judas. We're faithful. We're a product of those guys listening to Jesus and doing what he told them to do. This is one that feels like to me that's more a result of the last 40, 50 years. I'm talking here about churches. But we either have to choose evangelism or discipleship to focus on. Now the cross is the time when people are converted. And so there are churches saying, hey, we're either going to focus on evangelism or we're going to focus on discipleship. What happens after they come to faith? Now, I don't know that this was such a big discussion years ago. I don't know enough about that church history. But Bill Hybels, if you know him from Willow Creek, who started what most considered really the first megachurch, at least he got the most attention here in the United States. He's a graduate of Trinity College, our denominational school, not the seminary. But the college. And in 1975, he started this church that was for unchurched people. Now, don't hear me saying it's illegitimate. Don't hear me saying it's illicit. But he's going to start a church where the primary objective is attracting people that don't go to church to be a church. So they focused pretty exclusively on the evangelism side. I think you have other churches today that go, we're not going to be that. The particular term that most use for that is called seeker-focused. It's their strategy. It's their philosophy. What we're going to do is primarily target non-Christians and try to get them into church. Now, why don't they go to church? Because usually they find it boring. So he created something that wasn't dull. And guess what? It attracted boatloads of people. Other churches, we're not going that direction. We're going to focus on the word. And we're going to take people deep. Now, how they get saved, we really don't know. Now, I want to talk about an appropriate view of what I consider appropriate view of discipleship. How I think the Bible describes this. Now, another step in my journey. Okay, so we're going to make disciples. What's a disciple? Now, in my head, I had a whole bunch of characteristics. At my second church in Edina, we're in the, the late 80s here now, going into the early 1990s. I was sharing with the elders there at the church, and guess what? They get excited. They said, well, if we're making disciples, we better clarify what a disciple is. So we made a list over a couple of months. The list had 77 characteristics. We wanted to get this right. If we're in the business of making disciples, we got to figure out what a disciple is. We had the gifts of the, the, the Spirit. We had, uh, uh, you know, prayer and Bible reading and, and forgiving and, and patient and uh, 77 characteristics, which, okay, that's pretty exhaustive. Now we got to pare it down so we can understand it and communicate it to others. 
Over a period of about another five months, we pared it down to 11. 11. Still too many. Evangelism, worship, prayer, uh, Bible study, right? Giving to the church was on there. Don't miss that one. We had all these things on there, but it was still too many. I'll never forget the moment I'm sitting in my office alone. We've been trying to pare it down for 11, and I'll never forget the moment. For me, it's one of the most palpable senses that the Holy Spirit is talking to me. When I'm looking at this list of 11, and it suddenly occurs to me. Now, I'm thinking, but don't you ever think that I think I figured this, any of this out on my own. They all have to do with relationships. And they all have to do with a relationship with God, a relationship with other believers, a relationship with unbelievers. So you guys have heard it around here, talked about quite a bit. The best way we know how to summarize what a follower of Christ looks like. Now, when I was here, oh, it's about 18 years ago, John Khalil was on staff and we're in a staff meeting. I'm saying, I get tired every time somebody asks what a disciple, relationship with God, relationship with other believers, relationship with those yet to believe. I get tired of saying all that. And we're sitting there and John simply says this, are cubed. I'm like, what? And he goes, are cubed. What do you mean? Relationships cubed. Relationship with God, relationship with other believers, and relationship with those yet to believe. That's the best way and most concisely and clearly we believe we can summarize what it means to be a follower of Christ. We're involved in all three of those. Now, we, Drew was here on staff. We planted his church up in Sacramento, and he put this design together, which I love. R1. I've known people excited about R1, but, but, but they live like monks, and they're not that interested in hanging with anybody else. They want to read the Bible and hang out, and they're, you know, they don't really have time for church people because we're not serious enough about God. The bigger one there, excuse me, is R2. That feels like to me where we've gone culturally. Where we're most interested in the community. You know, churches and bars share a common characteristic. We go there because we like the people that are there. And we got community there. And it's an important part. Some people, it feels like to me, are excited about the community. And quite frankly, people hold our similar theology and they usually vote the same way we do. I mean, these are good, easy people to hang with. You start dealing with those R3 people, they don't actually agree with us on the abortion. They don't actually agree with us on transgender. It's just easier to hang with church people. They're basically nice, not always, but most of the time they're pretty nice. And then I've actually known a few folks, not that many, that in my estimation have been excited about R3. Didn't actually feel like to me they were that interested in growing in their personal relationship with God. Didn't really want to hang with other believers because they weren't that interested in evangelizing. So they just went out there and evangelized. And as soon as they get people evangelized, they just go somebody else. Our conviction is, here's what a disciple looks like. Most important thing is they got a relationship with God. But once they get that, they want to grow. 
they realize they need other people to grow. And they actually believe they might help other people grow. And then this thing inside of us is so good, we just can't stink and keep it to ourselves. We know too many people out there who are headed for damnation. In the best sense, we have to be sharing this with them. Now, if you look at that, which of those is the most important relationship? Our one. But our conviction here at RCC is if we have our one, we're interested in our two and our three. Not one, not two, but all three. Now, as you look at those structures up there, I want you to just stay with me here a second. R2 is critical. The way God gives us R1 is through other people. I've told you, I don't think it's the smartest plan. But that's how he does it. That's what the church is. Some people, I've had this conversation when they go, no, 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 no. I get it from the Bible. I'm like, who wrote the Bible? And they go, God. I say, through whom? Moses, John, Peter, Paul. Here's the reality. When we're reading scripture, we have a relationship with those biblical authors inspired by God. God works through people. We, I love what John said about the art here earlier. We are the artwork of God. I love what he said about him being an art piece of God. All of us are an art piece of God. The way he wants to draw more people to him is when they see the beauty of him in us. All right, let's keep going. Appropriate uh, 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 biblical view of discipleship. Making disciples is grounded in the happy experience of Jesus' love. <sighs> Do I need to talk about that more? This is where it comes from. It's not just about going to the structural stuff. It's not just being a part of the vessels. I believe because I went to all the vessel stuff for the first 20 years I was a Christian. I was not. Oh, it's the joy of Jesus that comes into us and we have to get more. I'm 64, I wake up every morning and my prayer when I roll out of bed before I take care of business is this. It's a quick prayer. Lord, help me find more happiness today than I had yesterday. It's been the same prayer for roughly 40 years. Because everything flows from that. Another way of saying the same thing, but I didn't want you to miss it. Making disciples inevitably flows from being a disciple. It's how it works. We follow him, and he's called us to help others follow him. We just got to relax. We just got to relax. Making disciples is what all disciples do. <laughs> Nobody is going to the guilt or beating themselves up. Did you hear me? I don't give directives very often, but this is one of them. Did you hear that directive? Everybody heard it? If you're tempted to go here and beat yourself up, stop it. Cut it out. No. 
These next four weeks, I think it might be a good time for us to be doing some assessments. I think that's great. Happily. Asking, Lord, how can we grow here and find more joy? Making disciples includes evangelism and what we call around here ongoing spiritual transformation. Remember I showed you the slide with somebody being converted, evangelism on one side and discipleship on the other. It's the common vernacular of the day. I've never liked it. Jesus said, go and make disciples. It includes both. Discipleship is about evangelizing people and helping them grow. So at RCC, do we wrestle with whether we're going to focus on evangelism or, did you hear the or? Ongoing spiritual transformation, do we wrestle with that? No. 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 In case you weren't listening, no. We're here to help people who have already found the love of Jesus grow. And we're to help them primarily go out there and help other people get introduced to Jesus. But if we have events around here intended to draw people in that don't treasure Christ, is that inappropriate? No. We're called to evangelize. This isn't an either, this isn't, this isn't an or conversation. Disciples make disciples. So I'll tell you, I'm the exact same guy with everybody I meet. I ask a lot of questions to figure out where they are. If they haven't yet treasured Christ, if you want to, I'll call it evangelism. If they've already treasured Christ, I'll call it ongoing spiritual training. But I'm the same guy doing the same thing. Just being me. Which again, many of you could argue, is not that effective. Maybe Todd, you ought to try and pretend sometimes. Making disciples is the most fulfilling, most joyful experience there is. My life was transformed when I met Jesus. Transformed. This is what we're all called to. And maybe this will help you understand why I'm so grateful for, to be a pastor. I actually get paid to live this way. When you wonder why I call this the best job in the world, I get paid. Now, there'll be a day sometime when I'm not getting paid. As best I can predict, I'll still be as passionate about making disciples. That's not going to change. I do that because I'm a disciple and a follower of Christ. So as we go into this exercise, my hope is, so if you're here and you're making an assessment, you're sliding towards beating yourself up. Stop it, stop it, stop it. What I want you to do is imagine the joy that comes if maybe we all learn to do it a little better. Because I'm going to tell you, talking about the goodness and the love of God, the joy that comes in him, there is nothing, nothing like it. I love doing this with you. The thing, one thing in this world I like even more is with my non-Christian friends when I finally get to that point where you get to talk about Jesus. Usually takes some time. Usually they're in a challenge in their life. Let me tell you. They face a hardship, then they want to talk to the pastor about spiritual stuff. But that's even better. As much as I love preaching, it's my second greatest joy in this life. All right, so here's what we're hoping for the next four weeks. That we would all, starting today, ask God to empower us to more fully experience his love. That's the foundation. 
however much of his love we've got, we're going to ask him through this process to help us experience it more. And then to more joyfully share that as we experience it more fully with others. We're going to trust that in 2023, God's going to work in and through us, corporately and individually, to help all kinds of people experience the life-transforming power of Jesus. We're going to get better at helping those who already love him. We're going to get better at helping those who haven't yet chosen to treasure him. Can you believe it? Can you believe you might actually grow at this? Or does it just feel like one more of those pep talks? I'm asking God to convince us all that we're going to grow here. I'm going to ask you all to use this guide beginning next week. I'm going to say this as humbly as I can. I've been living this way for 40 years. This guide helped me think even a little more clearly and often about this process. So I'm going to encourage you to use this with us. Walk through it. Now we'd experience more joy in 2023 than any other year. My prayer for every one of you, my prayer for this fellowship is the prayer for my life, that we would be happier every day and every year. As we each grow in our ability in what we're already doing it. You understand, we're already doing this. All of us who treasure Christ, we're already out there making disciples. All we're talking about is God working us to help us do it a little better. That's our hope and prayer. Not because we're failing, not because we stink. We're just going, Lord, work in our lives. Can you imagine getting to the first Sunday of 2024 and there being people in this room, some of them, whose lives have been changed because of us? People we know. We're not going to ask you to get to know new people. We're not going to limit that if you want. This is just about the people God's already put in our network. How do we more effectively, can we, help them see the love of Christ? So, in your worship folder, and if you didn't get one, I'm going to ask you to get one. Everybody get one of these? So, before you leave today, uh, find somebody. Find somebody, get somebody at the back. They're supposed to be in the worship shoulder. Are they in the worship folders? Okay, okay. Um, sharing the joy. And this is what I'm asking you to do this week. Matthew 13, 44. Lots of verses that brought me to faith. This is the key one. I'm a young seminary student. I'm sitting in our apartment and I'm reading that. The kingdom of heaven is like a, he a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up and then in his joy. Goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. I remember asking, of the nothing I owned as a young seminary student, how much of that would I have sold, sold for Jesus? And the answer was none of it. And I went, this is a problem. 
tomorrow. Just sit down, four or five minutes. I'm going to encourage you. Old people, take a pen. Young people, use your phone. What are the things that bring you the most joy? Just list them. Just list them. I'm going to ask you to see each all these days just to pray. This week is to prepare. Next Sunday, we launch it. We're going into 21 days. I love y'all. I love what God's doing in our midst. I love the lives that are being changed and have been changed. God has been doing in a work in this fellowship for a long time. He's going to continue to do it. Our hope and prayer is, Lord, fill us with your spirit. Move in our hearts. We just don't want a pep talk. We want the joy that we find in you and our encouragement from our lives together to fill us and more fully motivate us to share this with other people. So I can't wait. Well, I'm going to have to wait like 300, I don't know how many days, till the first Sunday of next year. But that's what we're shooting for. Lord, move in us and use us. Father, thanks for your love. Thanks for your glory. Ah, thank you for the happiness and the joy that comes from you. Thanks for calling us to be your disciples, to be your followers. Oh, Father, you have entrusted with us this greatest truth that Jesus and Jesus alone changes lives. And you've entrusted that to each and every one of us. Oh, Father, this is a privilege. This is a joy. Don't allow us to feel guilty. Don't allow us to beat ourselves up. Assure us that you have been working in and through each of us already. We're just asking that you would continue to fill, that you would continue to move, that we and many others in 2023 might find the joy that comes in Jesus alone. That's our prayer, Father. Amen.